0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast and now your hosts Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, it's Tuesday today. We're a day late with the CME proper. We hope that that is okay with everyone. Not a ton of urgent news to break down this week as we emerge from this UFC Fight Night event Headlined by Raphael Faziv and Mateusz Gamrot, Raphael Faziv obviously suffers an injury there in the second round, causing a TKO finish and a victory for Mateusz Gamrot. At least on paper, we will talk about that. Uh, We we're gonna do something a little bit differently this week. We got a lot of surprisingly, I think, got a lot of listener mail this week. So rather why you say
1: surprisingly, knowing how erudite Chad, how how locacious. And intelligent and perceptive our audiences. Is.
0: This is no knock on the audience whatsoever. I am merely saying that typically speaking, we get more listener mail during weeks when there are big, popular, crowd-pleasing events that garner a lot of viewers. I don't think that it True. is. Uh, you don't have to be a genius to see that that is probably what happens. And we got more mail this week coming out of this relatively low-profile uh, UFC fight night than we normally do. That's all I'm saying.
1: Do you think that it might have helped things to have uh, a dude show up with a Bible that he clearly just took out of the bedstand, uh, the drawer next to the bed at the hotel, and then shouted a bunch of crazy stuff afterwards? Do you think that that might have spurred a few extra listener mails? Because I think it might have played a role.
0: We did get some on the topic of Bryce Mitchell who got a win over Dan Ege this weekend. We'll talk about all that. But the reason that we're here on Tuesday folks is that you've been feeling under the weather. You've been a little bit sick. And so I feel like you're not quite over it. You deemed yourself well enough to play today. You were day to day previous to this. I feel like you're going to, your voice is going to bring some sort of rough gravitas Mm -hmm. to the, to the program. It's going to be like, I'm, it's going to be like I am i I'm hosting this, with like an, an old-timey Western actor right now.
1: Yeah. Some uh, Sam Elliott vibes mm-hmm. that I'm yes. bringing to the podcast. that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, this is your classic back-to-school illness, I feel. Mm-hmm. My kids have been back in public school, you know, less than a month. So it's about time for absolutely everybody in my family to get sick. I was doing the thing last week where after my daughter's being sick and at times just coughing directly in my face... Yeah. I was telling myself, I'm fighting it off. I'm on a strict vitamin regimen. You know, I got a little sore throat, little sniffles, but I'm not going down with this one. My adult immune system is going to just plow through this thing like a Clydesdale and it's not going to bring me down. And then toward the end of last week, I went, I went downhill, Yeah, went downhill, have each morning I wake up, I go to bed each night being like, this is it. This is the last day. Tomorrow, we're going to wake up, not a hint of, of anything going on, no sniffles, no cough, no nothing. And then in the morning, I wake up, you know, your eyes snap open, you kind of do that sort of damage assessment, and then you go, damn it, it's not, we're not quite as close to 100% as we were hoping to be. Yeah. Uh, but this day, this is the last day,
0: I'm okay. telling you right now. Yeah. Lingering is how you would describe it.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Lingering and a product of the public school system.
0: I think we should just defund them. We put all our money into charter schools, and then we wouldn't have this problem anymore. Well, you know what? It's like I said, I feel like I'm uh, I'm recording this episode with Powers Booth. So I feel like we're we're gonna get uh we're gonna get a great show out of it. So we're gonna spend as much time as it takes to work through the selected listener mail here that we got this week. And then if we have time left over, I think we'll move on to some other topics Bellator. Did a show over the weekend. We didn't get too many questions about that. I think we might have an Aaron Pico question. Maybe, maybe not. I can't quite remember. Uh, it was. A, we could talk about the ins and outs. Of maybe some of this TKO stuff. How much Ari Emanuel is getting paid, which hit the hit the wires this week. So who knows what we'll talk about if is we. Is it a have, lot? Yes. Yeah. Is that your guess? Lot? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is it some? Are you getting it's, paid some?
0: It's a little bit more than some. Okay. Let's say that. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna do all that stuff. We'll, we'll, I don't really have a, a sense of how long it's going to take to get through this listener mail. But if we have any time left over, we'll get to some uh, odds and ends that maybe we won't get questions about. So let's get into that. Got to remind you that this week's CME is once again brought to you by our friends at NordVPN. Have you signed up for your NordVPN deal exclusively through the co-main event? If you haven't, you really, really ought to do it. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. Nord VPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, you can stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have Nord VPN. We both use it. It comes in handy all the time. Ben, doesn't seem like you've left the house a lot this past week. Uh, what, what was the best part of having Nord VPN while well, you were under the weather? Well. It
1: is still incredibly helpful, Chad, to have that NordVPN feature where it kicks on no matter where you are, bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter if you're down there at the grocery store picking yourself up more Kleenex. Doesn't matter if you're over at the pharmacy to get yourself some of those COVID tests so you can go, really? This shit's not COVID? (laughs) Doesn't matter if you're then coming straight home to get back in some sweats. NordVPN has got you covered. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass Password Manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them.
0: Sign up right now for any of NordVPN's handy two-year plans, and you get an additional four months for free by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain, all one word. Just be sure you use those handy and exclusive CME links. That's nordvpn.com slash comain or the code comain. Again, that includes all the two-year plans, the standard plan, the plus plan, the complete plan. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code Say it with me now. Comain. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Chili Willie Reverend Gaskin. Okay. So nice to hear from him. Yep. He asks, in the name of Ortega versus Yair and Blades versus Aspinall, how bummed were you to see the outcome of Fiziv versus Gamrot? I got to say, pretty bummed and yeah. not the least of which is because these two guys went out there and had a pretty good first round. And a first round that I think most people would probably have scored for Raphael Faziv. Uh, Despite the fact, Ben, that this this 155-pound division that we talk about all the time is so deep and so such a shark tank for all these guys. And you've got a handful of veterans at the top of the rankings list who for a long time have had basically a lock on who is going to get title shots. I think you have to consider both Mateusz Gamrot and Raphael Fiziev, guys who could join that group with a couple more wins. And they are both exciting fighters; they're fun to watch. This had all the makings through five or six minutes of a of a really great fight, and then Fiziev, of course, gets what I believe was a knee injury, correct? And yeah. uh, had to to retire from this one, giving Gamrot the win. So all the way around, it kind of felt like a bit of a letdown for for those reasons that I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, it's especially a bummer when you have yourself a legit sort of rising contenders fight, number six versus number seven in the division. We talked about it beforehand as a good test to see who breaks into that elite top five at lightweight, which is not an easy group to join. And so you get a result on paper here, but you don't really get the questions answered that you were hoping for. And here's the thing that I wonder about. We talk a lot about how it's tough for us even to remember your last outing sometimes because there's so many damn fights. If there's a few months between your fights, maybe a few months more if you suffer a knee injury in one of them. By the time it rolls around for Mateusz Gamrot's next fight or Raphael Faziv's next fight for that matter, do we, do we remember the circumstances of this one? Or do we just kind of go, I... I remember one guy won and one guy lost. I I always wonder how these sort of play out because you know that I'm glad that Chilly Willy Reverend Gaskin here mentioned the uh, the situation with Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall because that was one where you're we going like, all right, we're gonna find out if Tom Aspinall is the real deal. No, we're not. Knee injury almost immediately in that one, and then afterwards. We kind of, by the time he's ready to get back in the cage, we're sort of going, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember being disappointed with that one. And yet, like, you don't ever quite know what to do with those, like, where to file those away, you know?
0: Well, yeah, I think that this one leaves these two guys kind of in different positions, right? Like, I think that these are both guys that if you follow the sport reasonably close, you know who Rafael Fazeev and Mateusz Gamrod are, despite the fact that there's a lot of guys in this division. And so uh, this, this fight I think leaves both of these fighters in somewhat different positions and maybe not the positions you would expect if you just looked at the win loss, because for a guy like Mateusz Gamrot, obviously he had the loss to Benil Dariusz back in October of 2022. But at this point he's put together two wins in a row and yet, and yet they are both did he though wins, right? He had the split decision win over Jalen Turner back in March of this year. And then he has this knee injury TKO over Raphael Fazeev. And like I said, that occurred pretty early in the second round effort. It seemed to me at least like Fiziev probably won the first. And so he gets W's on his record for both of those. Did he though? Did he though? Did I he mean, win those fights? Did he though?
1: I, the, both of them though, you can't blame him for. No, it's not you know? his
0: fault at all, especially not the, uh, well, neither of them are. You can't, you can't affect what the judges do, and you certainly can't affect a Raphael Fazeev injury, uh, coming into the second round. But, like, let's say that that Armand, or let's say that that, uh, Jalen Turner, uh, decision goes the other way. Let's say that Fazeev... That this fight continues to play out as it did in the first round. That Fasiv gets the win here. There was also the Armand Sarukian fight back in June of 2022 that uh that I mentioned. Right now, Mateush Gamrot is three and one over the course of those four fights. He could easily be 0-4, right? This damn sport,
1: I mean, it gives you so many ways to win and lose. Mostly lose. I feel a lot of times that's I was having this conversation the other day with somebody who was asking me about betting on the UFC, which you and I have we've undergone a journey when it comes to to that.
0: You know what? I had my bets written up for Friday's power hour when you emailed me to be like, hey, I don't think I can go today. Let's let's put it off. And honestly, worked out for the best for me as as things played out. I wouldn't have lost a ton of money but I would have lost some. In- Interestingly enough, I did have an underdog bet on Mateusz Gamron. So that would have cashed, but not enough to get me into the black.
1: Yeah. And it's just like the, the thing I was trying to tell him was essentially it's so hard to bet on this sport because there's just so much weird shit that can happen. Not only do you have to account for individual variables going on in people's lives. Like if you don't necessarily know who's taken this fight just for the money, and the insurance coverage because they need to get knee surgery and claim that they heard it in the fight who, uh, got kicked out of the house by their girlfriend has been sleeping on the coach's couch, who is, you know, uh, maybe at their absolute peak performance and ready to show us that they are much better than we think. And against somebody else who is on the decline, all that kind of stuff can happen. And then on top of that, somebody could just slip on a damn banana peel and that's it. And it's so hard to account for some of that stuff, which also makes it such a cruel way for these guys to have to make a living when so much depends on getting a winning streak together, Going like especially in a lightweight division where you know we don't even really learn your name until you win four or five in a row. It's, it's tough on those guys, man, it's because you go out there, you, you, you prepare so hard, and then something goes in your knee and you fall down and hope that uh, the ref doesn't let him beat you up too bad before he decides that it's over.
0: Yeah, and like I said, this this fight leaves Mateusz Gamrot seemingly on an upswing, and then you got Rafael Fiziev, who had won six fights in a row and was the kind of guy we were looking at thinking, oh, here's an exciting guy. Seems like the UFC is into him. He could be a title contender in the near future. You know, you turn around, next thing you know, he's 0-2. He's got a two-fight losing streak, at least on paper. So like I said, Fiziev. Maybe in turn on a downturn here, Gamrot on an upswing. Are they, though? Are, Are they, they, though? though? I'm going to read this. There's an addendum here to Chili Willy Reverend Gaskin's email that says, considering that that was the last good UFC main event on the horizon until UFC 294, and with a break off next week, it stings me a little bit more. Now, here's the thing. I didn't know this. I saw someone put this on Twitter yesterday. I can't remember who it was. Uh, but this was apparently 17 weeks of UFC in a row which is a record. That's the most number of consecutive UFCs that they've ever done. So they're off this week, and then they come back October 7th with a dynamite and uh, star-studded UFC Fight Night event from the Apex, headlined by Grant Dawson versus Bobby Green. Doesn't it seem like Bobby Green fights like every two weeks? He's like the (laughs) new Cowboy Cerrone. Every time I wake up and turn my head, Bobby the King Green is out here with another fight.
1: I did when I looked up and saw that uh, this one was the next, the headliner of the next USC event. I said out loud, "Wait, are you serious? Mm-hmm. For
0: real? Did something happen?" Um, but yeah, something honestly, happened. They made a shitload of money to become a content creator for ESPN Plus. That's what happened. But really.
1: I still think that if if we're going to do this thing where we're just churning out tons of events every year to get that sweet, sweet guaranteed money, and clearly we are going to do that thing, you know, that's that's a given at this point for the UFC. They are not going to be like, we've decided to pare down our events and make less money. There is no possible universe where that happens. I got to say that this is my preferred way to see them do it because If it means you're taking this stuff where there's nothing often that is must-see TV, there might be one fight, might be the top fight on there that you feel like, all right, I'm going to keep an eye on social media so I'll know when they're doing the walks for that one so I can tune in. Other than that, I don't need to sit through all the commercials, all the the filler. I can circle back on Sunday morning and catch up with it. And we'll save the good stuff for the pay-per-views. Because if you look at UFC 294 and 295, you're like, yeah, okay. That's some shit worth paying for right there. you got some good lineups there. I'm interested in those events. I will pay you the money for that because you're not just staking it all on one main event. You're you're stacking those up pretty good. If you're going to do that many events, you do have to choose at some point. Are we doing the good stuff all in the premium location and kind of the leftovers on the ESPN Plus weekly streaming event? Or are we spreading it out, watering down the pay-per-views to keep, more good stuff on the fight nights. I'd rather we make the, the pay-per-views appointment viewing and have the fight nights be some shit that is kind of just on every weekend. And if you, if you're so inclined, you can tune in. And if you're not, if you got other stuff going on, that's fine. And you can catch up with it later or not.
0: Yeah. You mentioned a minute ago that lightweight division, you got to win six in a row before we even learn your name. Grant Dawson has won 11 fights in a row and nine of them by are by stoppage. So he goes in there to get what could be his first kind of name opponent in Bobby Green. So that is kind of interesting. The week after that, we follow that up as the chilly willy Reverend Gaskin noted with another fight night event still at the apex stay home featherweight main event. Sadiq Youssef and Edson Barbosa, which will no doubt be a fun fight. Although, you know, star power. I don't know about that. Then the week after that, we head to Abu Dhabi for UFC 294. That'll be a good one. But, yeah, some, you know, the roller coasters at the bottom. And then we'll be going straight up to the top when we get to UFC 294. Next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott. We actually have two about Bryce Mitchell. So this one's about Bryce Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got one from David Lauderay about uh, how Bryce Mitchell's post fight uh, rant might affect Danny gay. Uh, so Devin Scott writes serious question for you. Did Bryce Mitchell's checks bounce from the CME $5 Venmo consulting service? How did he go from quirky hick wanting camouflage shorts to well spouting off about government conspiracies, evolution, gravity and flat earth? Do you think these antics will garner fans alienate fans or neither? If his checks start to clear how can he turn this around? Or should he?
1: You know what's crazy to me on the question of will the antics garner fans or alienate them? You look around, there is not as much what the hell is wrong with this guy as you would think. (laughs) You know, you look around both from other MMA fighters and from a lot of MMA fans. One sentiment that I saw expressed a lot was LOL, that boy crazy, but also... That's just Bryce. He's yeah. he's keeping it real. He he's he's not faking anything. He's as real. Like, it, these are all sincerely held beliefs by Bryce Mitchell. And even though I do think gravity is real and the Earth is not flat. I respect his willingness to go out there and be true to himself. There's a lot of that. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people saying stuff like that in the wake of it, which I think says more about this community and about what we have come to expect yeah. of MMA fighters. Because we, whenever somebody does something like this, the same way whenever somebody does a gimmick like Colby Covington's, we have to sit here and ask ourselves the question, is it a, a bit to stand out, To make himself a conversation topic, is he just saying stuff that he doesn't necessarily believe or is he, you know, maybe just amplifying stuff that he might kind of believe for the sake of attention because MMA and fight sports are very much an attention economy. Winning the fights is only part of it. Or is he dumb enough to actually believe it? And in the MMA space, both seem more or less equally plausible.
0: Yeah. Well, and why do, do you think that we, that this doesn't really scratch the surface? Do you think that we are more inclined to accept, without much comment, Bryce Mitchell's fucking crazy rant after this fight? Do you think that is because it is a commentary on the beliefs of the audience? Or do you think it is because we are just uh, conditioned to hear crazy shit from fighters after fights?
1: I think it's, it's a little of both. I think that already the MMA audience especially other MMA fighters but also a large portion of the MMA audience is already a little more conspiracy theory prone yeah you know the 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 Joe Rogan show crossover in the UFC and MMA audience makes it so that you have more people willing to consider alternative viewpoints kind of on anything kind of willing to consider any alternative other than the agreed-upon explanation for things. Just as soon as it's a conspiracy, that's when they become interested. And there's just a a little more willingness to go down that road to begin with. I also think, though, that because we have heard so much crazy-slash-ignorant shit from MMA fighters over the years, we become numb to a lot of it because we just go, okay... Here's another one. And if you want to get our attention, frankly, if you were inclined to think that this is an attention-getting ploy from Bryce Mitchell, and I am not, I think Bryce, I I cannot entirely believe that Bryce Mitchell is ignorant enough to believe this stuff. But if you are inclined to think that it's all for the sake of attention, then you probably are like, yeah, he's got to crank it up more. You can't just be like, I think the vaccine is bad and government mind control, because that's kind of just regulation stuff. For MMA fighters at this point, you know, you you, talk talk about crisis actors and ploys to take our guns is just kind of like a de rigueur shit for (laughs) MMA fighters. If you really want to get our attention as this guy saying some crazy shit, it's got to be really crazy
0: at this point. Alternative viewpoints, I feel like is a kind way for you to describe
1: that. He's out here telling Sean O'Malley, Chad, that he wants to debate him on the facts. The facts about the shape of the earth. Here's one. Here's a. Here's an issue that fucking Aristotle figured out for us <laughs> in like 350 BC. Said that and was like, hey, you know what? Not only have I figured it out, I can prove it. I can show you. Didn't even have the ability to look at the earth from afar. Could fucking prove it. That, that the earth was a sphere. And you're going to tell me that 2,300 years later, it's Bryce Mitchell who comes along and is like, nah, nah, nah. Aristotle didn't know shit, bro. I was on Reddit the other day and I have the facts and I will debate you on the facts. I mean, like, that is some next level shit. That is some next level ignorance and arrogance to be like, nope, nah, Aristotle, you dummy.
0: Next question comes to us from David Lotterre, who writes, well, Bryce Mitchell just unlocked a new nightmare for opponents. (laughs) Previously, the worst thing that could happen to you as the loser is for the victor to pick you up and carry you around the octagon like a modern day Rudy while you slump your shoulders like a toddler in a Texas beauty pageant resigned to their fate to be paraded around for their crazy mom's enjoyment in a a faux show of sportsmanship. Apparently, that's only the second worst thing that can happen to you after losing a cage fight. The worst is Bryce Mitchell will force you to participate in a quick round of conspiracy theory (laughs) prayer. I'm sure Dan Ige was very excited for known flat earther Bryce Mitchell to make it very clear to the world that he and Dan Ige are, in fact, the same religion. Also, uh, TIL, the Hawaii fires were started by Satan. And if Dan Ige doesn't agree to pray for sweet baby Jesus to make arson... To make arson enthusiast and for sure real bad guy Satan knock that Hawaii fire starting shit off, then he's denying his God in front of the world. A big no-no for that religion. Rough few minutes for Ige, I imagine. Now, there, that's a he's, good point. D-
1: yes. David E. Eliterre is completely right about this because I don't know about you. When I was watching this interview, my eyes kept being drawn back to Dan Ige Yeah. because I was just like, what, whoa, what are you supposed to do here in this moment? Because... You know, I would argue, first of all, that worse than being picked picked up and carried around the octagon after you lose is UL Romero cornering you against the fence, telling you how much he loves you and kissing you on your face. That's up there. That's that's high on the list. But this one, because it's like you can feel Dan Ige going through these different emotions where it's like, okay, this is kind of awkward, but maybe he's being a good guy and a good sport. And so I have to stand here and be a good sport. And then he starts talking about conspiracy theories about the Hawaii fires. And you're going like, well, (laughs) I don't know, man. And then he's like, I'm going to donate $5,000 to this thing, which, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the make or break amount of money, but still, Still UFC fighters, they, they don't get paid a ton. So yeah, it's a nice gesture. And then Danny is like, okay, you can see him being kind of like, okay, yeah, you're a good guy, Bryce. And then it's like... Michael Bisping wants to turn the conversation away. It's yeah. like, oh, Ma- your
0: eye. You got to cut on your eye. How bad Michael is Michael Bisping and, is doing everything he can. Probably. He
1: is. He's doing everything he can to try to make this just a somewhat normal, palatable sports experience. And Bryce Mitchell is like, no, I want to keep talking about these fires. And he's just like, what the fuck, man? And that's the thing. I wondered not just about Dan Ige, but about a lot of people where, you know, there's a lot of... Other pro fighters who are very vocal about their Christian faith, I'm sure a lot of members of the audience who are, are staunch Christians, how do they feel when Bryce Mitchell is out here, he starts the fight with that Bible in hand, holding up the Bible, shouting freedom. Yeah. And then, you know, if you are a fellow Christian, I could understand how there might be a moment of like, all right, yeah, tell him, Bryce. Even though, again, you look at that Bible, that is clearly the hotel room Bible. That is not a well-loved personal copy that Bryce Mitchell takes with him everywhere. It's not like the, where the, the cover is all worn and the pages have been thumbed through thousands of times as he's been deep in studying his Bible. That was just the shit in the hotel dresser, man. He just pulled that thing out. It was You can see where it says it was placed there by the Gideons. <laughs> Looked like it never been cracked open. So, I don't know. That does make you wonder to what extent Bryce Mitchell has read it. If like you just took the prop out of the hotel room and you would but I could see how other Christians would be like, yeah, all right. Good to see this guy doing that. And then at the end of the thing, if he's going off about fucking gravity being fake and the earth being flat and conspiracies about uh, Maui wildfires and everything, and you're just being like, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to be associated with this guy anymore. I yeah. don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this and just, and having Danny Ige be forced to stand there as he goes on this just kaleidoscope of beliefs throughout this interview, that how do you not feel the awkwardness on Dan Ige's behalf?
0: I mean, Dan Ige didn't want to be up there in the first place. After this fight was over, Bryce Mitchell tried to grab him and say he's coming up to pray. And Dan Ige was basically like, no, it's not my time. It's your time. And Bryce Mitchell was basically like, no, you're coming and you're going to pray. So they get up there, and then Bryce Mitchell goes on his little tirade, whatever it was. And then at the end, he tries to get Danny Gay to pray again, and Danny Gay's like, no, I'm good. So I think that tells us everything we need to know about how Danny Gay felt about that exchange. Next question this week comes to us from John Mooney, who writes, I've always been a fan of Dominic Cruz on commentary. I prefer the clinical technical breakdowns to Rogan and DC's bro-fests. But come on, man, Dom is starting to sound like a broken record. In what feels like the 10 millionth time, and nod to his stoppish laws to Henry Cejudo, Dom praised the ref in the Michelle Watterson-Gomez fight for letting her have her face turned to dog meat and her brain scrambled. I'm just saying, let let go of the bitterness, Dom. You got stopped. Don't let it affect your views for the rest of your life or my ears. Uh, this is still hanging around. This one of yeah. the several things hanging around. uh in Dominic Cruz's head, seemingly. And it does come up more than you think it might, especially from a guy who you and I have both had dealings with, and Dominic Cruz, who is a smart, articulate, I would say likable guy on a personal level. But he does bring this up a lot. He brings his beef with Keith, Keith Peterson specifically up a lot. And it is... Starting to seem like something that he's fixated on, although I will say I don't feel like it's that unusual for these commentators after they have been at it for a while to get into a rut where they basically repeat the same shit over and over again during every fight, like almost all of the high profile UFC color commentators do it. And Joe Rogan might be the most guilty of all for basically repeating the same stuff over and over again for the entire tenure of his UFC career. I didn't don't necessarily know if the Dominic Cruz's fixation on these things separates him from the others, except to say these seem like very personal issues for him.
1: Yeah. And I mean, as a couple of guys who sit here and talking to a microphone several times a week for an hour or more at a time, I totally understand how certain things can sort of just become part of your normal lexicon And you find yourself returning to them over and over again. Maybe the same way we do with how poorly fighters are paid and treated and how greedy the UFC is. So I get that on some level. It also, though, it does seem like it is coming from an intensely personal place for him and one that is starting to get in the way of his job Because it just becomes so noticeable, especially if you regularly watch these. Maybe if you tune in every once in a while, you don't even really notice that it's a thing for him. But if you're a regular weekly viewer of these UFC events, at some point you're going to be like, here we go again. Here goes Dom Cruz on his crusade against refs. And some of that might be just the natural consequence of having so many ex-fighters or current fighters as commentators. because they're going to have strong feelings about certain aspects of this sport that they have experienced and that they, especially in Dominic Cruz's case, feel played a big role in their career trajectory. You know, that's understandable to an extent that, you know, you, it's one thing for us to be like, man, refs sometimes screw up or who knows what these judges will do. But if you're somebody who has personally lost a lot of money and opportunities, and had your whole career arc changed because of somebody's mistakes in your eyes, you're not just gonna be like, what are you gonna do? MMA, LOL. You're gonna be like, God damn it, this is a huge problem and needs to be fixed. I can understand that. And Dominic Cruz, I think, kind of virtues of his fault situation where he's a really competitive guy. And so when something like that happens where he feels like I lost, but I didn't deserve to lose, and it was all Keith Peterson's fault and that can easily extend to uh, these refs are out here screwing fighters, then he's not going to let go of that easily. He's the same kind of guy where you know DC can make one little offhand comment to him early in a broadcast, and five hours later he will still be bringing it up and taking counter shots at DC over it. So, you know, that's sort of in his nature to begin with. But it does, when you start to... It, it, it harms... The validity of your criticism of these refs, if you are seen as somebody who just does this all the time and who can't let it go and who has like a personal axe to grind over uh, your own treatment at the hands of referees. Because then it's like when you bring it up, you think you're doing it on behalf of some fighter who's getting screwed by the refs. But what the audience hears is, oh, Dom Cruz is on his soapbox about the refs again,
0: you know. Meanwhile, I think it was Dominic Cruz Made a slight about Michael Bisping only having one eye. Remember that during that fight, and Bisping was Bisping was basically like, made one retort about it and moved on, not fixated on it at all. Whereas Bisping does a pretty good job of that, and especially, you know, I don't know if I had just one
1: eye, and especially if I had it as damage as a result of damage suffered in that cage, and furthermore as damage suffered in that cage, at least part of which came at the hands of a guy who was super juiced up and the UFC knew he was juiced up and put me in there with him anyway. I could see that maybe being a sensitive spot for me, yeah. you know? And he handles it pretty damn well, honestly, because people will be saying shit about his eye all the damn time, like just on Twitter and uh, reaction to his commentary. And then to have to hear it from a peer on a broadcast, I could see getting upset and getting annoyed and being like, Hey, I I have to deal with this thing. Maybe you guys could shut up about it sometimes. I could see getting getting a little tired of it, but he handles it pretty well.
0: I agree. I think he handles it better than you would expect most people to handle it. Next question this week comes to us from Lawrence Jacoby, who writes, my guys, Brian Battle is in trouble. Not in his UFC career. That part seems to be going great, but his nickname situation is in absolute shambles. First of all, his last if your last name is Battle, you don't need a nickname. Your name is your nickname. But if you absolutely feel like you need to go down that road, going with something quirky and weird like Pooh Bear seems as good a choice as any. So why would a man who has so many good things going for him in the name uh, in the name game go for something as generic as The Butcher? That seems like an urgent job for the CME consulting firm. I was surprised to learn that Brian Battle's nickname was The Butcher in the wake of this fight. Uh, he went out there this weekend and, and got a big win over AJ Fletcher. Uh, and here's the thing is it here here I'm gonna get your opinion when your last okay. name is battle is it cooler to let's say you're going to have a nickname is mm-hmm. it cooler to have a nickname that references somehow that your last name is battle or is it cooler to swerve away from that and have a nickname like the butcher I think that the, the it's really subject
1: to personal taste But I do not care usually for the nicknames that go out of their way to incorporate your actual name with the lone and notable exception of Cassius Clay Collard. (laughs) Because that one does sound like a 90s ska band, you know, like so that one I can get down with. It's like Andre Touchy Feely. I know some people love that nickname. I don't. It feels just too cutesy to me, you know, or uh Jesse Waterbongfelt. Mm-hmm. Like I see what we're doing, you know, but I don't want I don't think you want your nickname to inspire people going, "Huh, okay, that's kind of clever." Whatever. Like I don't know if that's what you want. Like you want the nickname that is fun to say and cool and feels somehow representative of you to the point where it can just take over for your name. Like shogun Rampage, right. Bobby Knuckles. Like, that's what you want. I have a nickname. And The Butcher is along the lines of Robert Whitaker's preferred nickname of The Reaper, where it just sounds like some shit you came up with to sound scary and cool. It sounds like one of the drop down nickname options on a fighting video game. Because that's the sound they already have loaded into the game. Is the the announcers being like the butcher lands a left hand? Like that's what it sounds like. It doesn't. There's no way. I believe you guys were sitting around the gym and people are like, man, that Brian, he's a real butcher out there on the mat. Oh, you know what? We should start calling him the. Like, there's no way. There's no way that's an organic nickname, which is what you want a nickname to kind of be. Now I do notice that you go to Tapology, and right now at least it lists Pooh Bear. As his nickname, which, okay, you know that's 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 something different. I do. I agree though that if your name is Brian Battle, what you need a nickname for? Yeah. Yeah, we're not gonna confuse you with the other Brian Battle. You sound like a fucking Tekken character as is. You don't need to mess with that. You don't need to add anything in there. Just go with Brian Battle. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. I agree. And like you said, the problem with the butcher really is just how generic it is. You probably go, does the sure dog fight finder still exist? If you went there and and like clicked on butcher, you'd probably get 150 butchers would probably come off, come up. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's not unlike how many like Spartan pit bulls there are all that kind of stuff. Like if you have a unique name and then you add a nickname that you share with 140 other people, I don't know if you've done
0: yourself a favor there.
1: Yeah. See, the Sharedog fight finder does still have him as the butcher.
0: But does it list other butchers? Can you click on it and it'll show you? I think who, only tapology wow. will
1: give you that option. All right.
0: Next question this week comes to us from shoulders, chest, pants, shoes. He writes in honor of Chad Dundas, the biggest favorite on the card. Jacob Malkown lost via DQ in round one. He was minus 600, literally on some John Jones shit, along with the community college level acting from Cody Bundage. Uh, Do you you think it should have been ruled a DQ, or do you think uh, Brundage may have gamed the system fight night, but ultimately cost him his roster spot in the coming weeks? Uh, This is always uh, this is always a uh, a game time decision, I guess. Hard to know if you were a fighter how to handle these things. Remember, think back to the Anthony Smith Incident When he fought Jones, yeah. John Jones and by all rights, probably could have walked out of there with his own DQ victory with the light heavyweight title around his waist and thereby dooming the 205 pound division to six to eight months of stasis where we would have had to wait around until those guys had the rematch. And so we all owed Anthony Smith a debt of gratitude for not opting for that option. This obviously the stakes are much lower here in terms of Cody Brundage and, and Jacob Malkoun
1: i i could understand a fighter being uh, confused and shocked to actually lose via dq considering how seldom it happens because you know the the basis of your entire martial art chad is that at worst you might lose a point for your fouls but your fouls are more likely to help you get a finish that would render the loss of that point completely meaningless the chances of you fucking around and getting completely disqualified in the fight are pretty slim. Like, in the UFC, how many DQs do you think we see in a given calendar year? Like, two? Three? You know? It, you, you could forgive a fighter who would be like, Well, sure, I might have strayed outside the, the strict <laughs> bounds of the rules a little bit here or there. But ain't that just MMA? slap my wrist and let's get on with it. Like I you know you would not think you're going to end up with a disqualification there. And of course though, again this this remark about the community college level acting the MMA community is never going to be kind to anybody who is conscious at all after suffering an illegal blow, you know? Yeah. If we can't see your brain from <laughs> as a result of the illegal blow, we're going to be like, "Oh, this guy, he's milking it." Yeah. Also, I want to point out, I did go to Tapology, do a quick search on The Butcher. Um, shout out to Alexander, The Diet Butcher, Otsuka. Light heavyweight with a 7 and 13 record. Um, that one, That see, that's how you do something interesting with The Butcher. Or, or also, Manuela, The Butcher's daughter, Marconetto. That ain't bad, Chad. Yeah. Or... uh a completely different approach a guy whose name is daniel butcher and he opted to go with the nickname the see that's
0: what we're daniel about, the though. butcher interesting choice next piece of listener mail this week comes to us from cheesy p who writes, how hyped are we all for Yuri versus Poetan? There is the mystique of Yuri P and the worst (laughs) shoulder injury of all time, Uh, but should the focus be on Pereira, Poetan's last three wins are all against either current or former UFC champions with now a chance at four in his first seven UFC fights, which has to be some sort of record and cement his status as what exactly. Uh, Yeah, I mean, considering... What a quandary we've been at in, at light heavyweight recently. Yeah. I think we should be very excited about this.
1: Yeah, I mean, because for one thing, just stylistically, that's an interesting fight. That is a fight I will cancel plans to watch. And I don't care if there was anything up for grabs or not in that fight. You just tell me those two dudes are going to get locked in a cage and fight each other? Yeah, I want to see that. That that seems like it's going to be fun as hell, man. Uh, and then when you got all this other stuff, you know, Yeri P's shoulder... Uh, just the, the weird status of the light heavyweight division, then sure, that, that all lends more interest to it. You know who I do feel bad for, though, is Jamal Hill. Because how fast we all forgot Jamal Hill even existed the moment that they announced this fight. When they went, okay, yeah, we're going to throw this one on the card too, Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pereira, we all went, oh, holy shit, Yeah. Let's go. And Jamal Hill was like, well, I am still legitimately the champion, guys. <laughs> Remember me? And we all went, nope. We are distracted by this shiny object over here. We can't wait to watch these two dudes fight, throw the belt on the poster, whatever you want to do. And Jamal Hill is going to have to show up at cage side, have the camera pan to his his stony visage. Every once in a while during the fight and then try to show up, you know, afterwards and remind everybody that he got next somewhere down the road. Like, it kind of sucks for him. I bet there's got to be some part of him that's like, man, they couldn't have chosen like a boring fight to have for the vegan lightweight title that like, we couldn't have got. Like, uh, Ma- Magomed Ankalaev back in here, do some shit like that. Something that people would just be less instantly excited for. So that's kind of a bummer for him.
0: UFC 295, November 11th, in case you're keeping score. This is the one that goes down over there at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Your main event is the heavyweight clash between Jon Jones and Stipe Miocic. Now, uh, light heavyweight co-main Yuri Prohaska against Alex Pereira. You've also got Mackenzie Dern and Jessica Andrade on that card. And an announced fight between Derek Brunson and and Roman Delidze. So that one is shaping up as one you're probably going to want to watch. Opening odds have Yuri Prohaska as a slight favorite, minus one ten. uh Pereira, I don't see odds for him. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, minus one twenty for per- Prohaska and minus one ten for Pereira. So very, very close odds there, with Prohaska just the slight, slight favorite. But that'll be one that that uh, you should circle your calendar for UFC 295 in November for sure. Did you say Derek Brunson? Didn't Derek Brunson get released? Mike, am I crazy? I mean, it says a middleweight. uh, Oh, wait, no, yeah, you're right. It says a middleweight bout between Derek Brunson and Roman DeLidze was planned, but Brunson parted way with the organization. That plan was Parted
1: ways with the organization.
0: My apologies. Next question this week comes to us from Brandon Boyd. Brandon Boyd, who writes, Patty Pimblett versus Tony Ferguson. What in the ever-loving fuck is the UFC trying to do here? Ben, people on the internet accused you and I of speaking this fight into existence, during which time I was reminded that people who listen to this show remember much more clearly the stuff (laughs) that we say than I remember, because I have no recollection of us talking about the possibility of Patty Pimblett versus Tony Ferguson.
1: I mean... It's to the point where if if the co-maniacs say we did it, then damn it, I believe them.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like we're just blacked out the whole time. They'll yeah, like, man, you tried to steal a cop car last night. And we're both <laughs> just like, oh, I guess I must have done it. Then everybody says I did it. I guess I must have. I also have no recollection of
1: us even mentioning this possibility. I could see us doing some shit like that. We say a lot of stuff. So sure, if they tell me that we did it. I'm not going to sit here and be like bullshit we never said it cuz you know they're going to come up with a time stamp and send us the send us the receipts and then we'll be stuck so fine I believe that we said You know, I can, I don't, I saw something I don't know if it was Michael Bisping or somebody commenting on this immediately after the news was announced and I but and I think it was Bisping and I kind of agreed with him when he was like people being like how dare they do this to Tony Ferguson why are they trying to do him like that. But that also that really it's kind of a no win for Patty Pimlet or not ton of an upside for Patty Pimlet because Tony Ferguson, while he absolutely is not who he once was, he doesn't absolutely suck. You know, you you still, you go in there to fight Tony Ferguson, you got to be prepared for some weird shit. You got to yeah. be prepared. He, I mean, you've seen him in a couple of these fights where Even if he's getting his ass kicked for 90% of it, there's still 10% where he'll land a punch here or there and remind you that he could be a little dangerous. But then also, if you do go out there as expected and roll right through the guy and you beat him, at this point, how much of a boost do you get from that? Because doesn't it just feel like people are already saying, Tony Ferguson is washed, should have retired two or three fights ago. You beat him now, we go, so what? Yeah, You know, I mean, maybe it sort of plays to the vibe that Patty Pimlet has going with a lot of the MMA audience where they sort of love to hate him or love to get mad at him because, you know, he would beat Tony Ferguson and act like he had just won the Champions League final or something like uh, act like it is the a career crowning achievement. And people would be like, oh, go to hell. You beat the worst version of Tony Ferguson. Stop acting like it really means something. And that would just sort of play into that dynamic. Yeah. But it is—it's not—it's not the gimme, especially for a guy with, let's say, Patty Pimblett's particular skill set.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that I was gonna ask. First of all, Patty Pimblett rolls into this thing on the heels of that sort of did he though against uh, Jared Gordon, despite the fact that Tony Ferguson is gonna come in on the heels of an O and six run, if you're keeping score does he still amount to a big step up in competition for Paddy Uh DraftKings does not think so. Paddy Pimblett is a minus 380 favorite and Ferguson is a plus 300 underdog. Uh, but I don't know. Is Does Tony Ferguson count as a step up in competition for Paddy Pimblett, considering the guys that he has fought thus far in his UFC career? I think
1: mostly it's a step up name wise. Uh, but To the people who are ready to criticize Patty Pimlet as a paper tiger or as propped up by a a fight promoter who wants to see the Patty Pimlet business continue and and to thrive, it's easy to see it as, oh, they're trying to help him out. They're trying to feed him somebody who is way down on the downslope but still has a name we know. And so for the people who kind of feel like they're sort of MMA insider like they they feel like okay, we've seen this before. We know what you're trying to do um, but as far as is it a skill wise step up, it depends if Tony Ferguson still has the skills because Tony Ferguson, we know he's a tough guy. We know that he he had a very unconventional and dangerous game once upon a time. We don't know if by the time he shows up for this fight, he will have flipped his truck over onto a parked car, you know, in the weeks leading up to it. So that kind of stuff was a lot of variables that Tony Ferguson brings with him that you don't quite know what to make of them yet, but maybe some of it will depend on what he actually brings on fight night.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Jason PN who writes, is it conceivable that future UFC fighters will all have graduated from the Dana White Contender Series. Could the UFC keep developing stars through the Dana White Contender Series while slowly cutting all of its six-figure veterans in favor of a stable of 12 and 12 fighters? When they reach the top and run across other Dana White Contender Series alums, won't won't it finally just be a bunch of cheap, maybe even green fighters bashing each other down the ranks? Will they even need free agents since they're building their own stars? The ESPN partnership and the JSF period have greatly helped the UFC build its brand. Can you imagine a time when UFC fighters aren't actually, quote unquote, the best? Uh I mean, they have such a lockdown on talent now. They have most of the top fighters. But uh, like we've talked about before, just because you're not in the UFC doesn't mean that you're not the best. I guess people rampant right now, people saying Johnny Eblin might be the best middleweight in the world. So uh, there are organizations out there, PFL, Bellator, maybe KSW, who have fighters who may well be better than anyone who is in the UFC. One championship, probably throw them on the list also. Whether or not, you see an entire takeover of Dana White contender series style fighters. I really don't think so. I mean, you're always going to have star power in this sport. You're always going to have those guys who command more attention. You're going to have people who come in as stars. Don't forget, several of the top stars in UFC history are people that were famous from other stuff before they came in. Right. And some of the best fighters of the last decade or so were all strike force people that the UFC bought their contracts when they bought strike force. So I guess maybe the answer is as long as there are other MMA organizations creating stars that would at some point be available on the free agent market, I believe you're always going to have that. Uh, Whether or not there become more, there becomes more and more, sort of Dana White Contender Series-style fighters in the UFC. I mean, it seems like that's where we're trending, just because the bottom line is so important right now for Endeavor and the UFC.
1: Yeah, and I also think that the question, the, the flip side of the question is, where would the other fighters come from? Where would the more established fighters who... If you came to them and were like, hey, we would like to fight, have you fight on the Dana White Contender Series for a shot at a UFC contract, and oh, by the way, it pays a pittance, the guys who would be like, no way, man, I'm way too established for that, are guys who are either have already been in the UFC or are in PFL and Bellator. And the the days of people really building up big, huge runs up through regional promotions This seems like far less of that now, at least because as we talked about far less regional promotions, there's just not as much action going on in that space as there once was. And the UFC, because it has these so many events and then also the contender series, it has a way to get its hooks in young up and coming fighters way sooner. And you're still, I think going to have some attractive free agents, especially coming over from, Europe where I think you see more guys coming up through like Cage Warriors or KSW where the UFC will go, okay, those guys we are interested in. And while the UFC might consider it, I would like to think a guy who is like a KSW champion is not going to come over here and fight in the contender series. He's going to say, come to me with a contract or don't come at all. And so I think that there will still be some of those guys, but I do think that the UFC is probably interested in more opportunities to create its own feeder leagues that it also profits off of and not less of those, you know?
0: Next question this week comes to us from pissed off lawyer who asks, Cyril Gahn Apparently went on the MMA fortnight instead of fight with Tom Aspinall does not quote make sense for him as he doesn't want to fight down the rankings but considering that he is the number one ranked heavyweight in the UFC's rankings and a heavyweight title fight is already on the books for November, it sure sounds like Gon thinks the UFC might award him a title shot next. I'm all about fighters making smart career decisions and angling for the right fights, but does Gon know that he lost two recent title fights? Or that the UFC and much of the fan base is high on Aspinall and Pavlovich? Or the sad history of fighters deciding to sit around and wait for title shots Please, discourse. Uh, does it seem like any of the shine has come off Cyril gone in recent days? Or do you think that the UFC is indeed still high enough on him to have him immediately qualify for a title shot against either John Jones or Stipe Miocic? I mean, maybe it depends on who won, who wins. Yeah. Because we've already seen what happens when you put Cyril Ghosn in the cage for John Jones and it didn't go great. For Cyril Gahn.
1: here's a theory I will advance. I understand the the rationale behind. I don't want to fight down the rankings. No one does. Yeah. But if someone didn't fight down the rankings, we'd never have any fights because that's just the way the rankings work. But do you think it's possible that Cyril Gaṇ is really saying, "Hey, I think what's going to happen here is John Jones is going to beat Stipe and then John Jones, at least for the time being, will step away." will yeah. say he's retiring and will thanks for all the cheese and I'm gone again. I think he will be back in nine months, but that's kind of what he said he will do. And so I could see it. If Cyril gone is going, I don't want to agree to anything just yet. I'm going to wait and see where we are when the dust clears, because if it comes to a situation where John Jones wins, but then retires, the heavyweight title is vacant. The UFC going to have to look for two guys to fight for it. the, the guys that make the most sense are Cyril gone, Tom Aspinall and Sergei Pavlovich. Yeah. You're going to want to choose two of those guys and have them fight. And I could see how you'd want to have your options open for that moment. Be like, okay, I, if I am going to fight somebody like Tom Aspinall, it makes sense. If the heavyweight titles on the line, it maybe doesn't feel like it makes as much sense. If that's supposed to be a number one contender fight and you're already sitting there as number one contender. So, I think that that variable of we don't know if we're going to have a champion after this heavyweight title fight, uh, that's reason enough if you're zero gone to take a wait and see attitude because it's only two months from now that you're going to find out one way or another.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's a high probability in the wake of the John Jones, Stipe Miocic fight that both guys could retire. You know, in John Jones's case, whether or not that would actually stick
1: won't. is Will a not. huge
0: question, as you continually bring up. But if both Stepe Miocic and John Jones were to retire, regardless of who wins, who who loses, whether or not to draw, what in that heavyweight title fight, then yeah, you're looking at Cyril Gane, Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall as your leading contenders to fight for a vacant title. So maybe it is smart of Cyril Gane to take a wait and see approach here. I mean, and you could also argue the case that the UFC sometimes does not take kindly to these efforts to not accept the fights that they want to give you and if that were the outcome of the jones miochich fight that you might be putting yourself in a position where it ends up being pavlovich and aspinall but you know a lot of it as we've said over and over again is going to depend on who's ready on what day and what place because yeah. that's how the ufc book these things these days so maybe cyril gone is right i don't know all right, that wraps up all the questions. I did want to bring this up for a couple of minutes before we get out of here for this week. Ben, are we down to two more Bellator events? In the history of the company, there's been rumors <laughs> that a PFL sale is imminent. We talked about this last week over on the Patreon content, that there there is some reportage suggesting that the PFL would run two separate leagues If it were to purchase Bellator, to which I believe we both said, LOL, we've heard that one before in this sport multiple times over, but look, man, here you got Bellator 299 that happened over the weekend over in Dublin, the three arena, 20 fights, 20 fights on the card for that one. Johnny Eblen defeated Fabian Edwards in the main event. You Bellator 300 coming up shortly after October 7th for that one. 17 fights on the card. All four champions or four of the champions, all of the four fights on the main card are championship affairs. Usman Nurmagomedov, Chris Cyborg, Ryan Bader, Liz Carmouche, all defending their titles at UFC or Bellator 300 in San Diego. Then you got Bellator 301 coming up in November, November 17th, over at Chicago in the Trust Arena, 16 fights on the card there two more championships on the line uh yaroslav amasov and sergio pettis putting their belts on the line this this does look awfully like the like bellator's trying to uh get through as many of these contracts maybe as it can 20 fights 17 fights 16 fights and we're cranking out these events a little more uh urgently perhaps than we've seen from the recent bellator live event schedule is this are we, are we on the verge of a garage sale here?
1: It does kind of have that feel. It also, I don't think it's a great sign if there's been these persistent rumors that you're going out of business, you're either getting sold or you're shutting down maybe just outright. And the reaction from fans isn't, no, don't go, you know? Like, that's not great. That's not a great sign for, for where Bellator is right now, especially with the PFL kind of rising into that number two spot and being just more easily visible, being having that ESPN Plus spot that we already subscribe to because of the UFC. I think people are going, okay, our needs for another MMA organization that is not the UFC are being well enough served right now. They got the PFL, you got one championship on Amazon Prime and and one is doing some more interesting kind of stuff so that it's not just the same MMA content over and over again. And Bellator kind of feels like a thing that is easier to forget about these days. So that that is not a great indicator that there's a groundswell of support that wants to see you stick around in the space. The one thing I wanted to mention, though, before we get out of here, Chad, is news that Israel Adesanya pled guilty to a drunk driving charge in New Zealand. Now, the actual drunk driving element of it the The measurement system that they use is baffling to me. Uh I don't know anything about the damn metric system, nor do I... I don't know how many milliliters or whatever of alcohol makes you drunk. So I can't tell you... It, it, when I read the story, it, it at least sounded to me like, well, he's not that much over the legal limit. Maybe it was just sort of, you know, maybe it wasn't out here to, Tony ferguson it up. But like... He's just a little over the limit, as he put it, like having some drinks at dinner or whatever. What was interesting to me was the timing. Because this the arrest itself happened just weeks before the Sean Strickland fight. Now, if you go out there and you beat Sean Strickland's ass, and then we find out that you got popped for drunk driving a few weeks before the fight, we go, well, that ain't a great look, but, yeah. uh, you know, fine. If you go out there and you look flat and you lose to Sean Strickland, and then we find out, then people go. Wait a minute, were you taking him too lightly? Were you partying during training camp? Were you not just thinking that this one was a gimme, and then it ended up biting you in the ass? Whether, yeah. Regardless of whether that's the case or not, that's that's kind of the image that it projects
0: a little bit. Yeah, not a not a uh, an exact comparison, but it is a little bit like the trick play in football, right? You run a <laughs> trick play in football, and say you roll out double pass. If it goes for a touchdown, everyone's like genius genius and gutsy move on the part of this coach if you if it screws up and you get stopped for a loss everyone's like too cute what an idiot yeah short circuited his drive so i agree this is a this is interesting timing for israel adesanya it's timing that is just made for fucking renobs like us right because here we are running our little show where we got to talk about something now you got israel adesanya getting a uh Getting a DUI—I don't—they probably don't even call it that down there. They probably call it something different. But uh, you know, tailor made for sports radio. Let's say we could spend the whole drive time talking about whether or not Israel Adesanya was partying in training camp and taking uh, taking Sean Strickland lightly. What was the milliliters? How many milliliters in his bloodstream? I don't fucking know. When they pull up some, when the cop there pulls up to your window, is he like, take your shoes off and let me smell them? Is that one of the ways? Is that a field sobriety test down there in New, New Zealand? What are you what What are you doing right now? That's where they do the shui. It's a shui joke. <laughs> you, first of all, does the cop have a picture of Tai Tuivasa in his in his wallet? First thing he does is looks at the driver, looks at the picture of Tai Tuivasa. He's like, nope, not him.
1: They know Tai Tuivasa. They don't need a picture of him at this point. Uh, if I'm Israel Asanya, this is one where I'm saying to my lawyer, we couldn't have got this court date moved to like the week of UFC 295 when there's, when the, the websites and the podcasts and all yeah. that stuff had other stuff to Friday talk about. Friday afternoon. We got to get this shit in a, a lull of fight nights. We, co- we couldn't have got this moved to like a big news week where they just, they didn't have room for me in the news cycle.
0: Yeah. Come on, no, man. No UFC event this weekend. That's not the time you want it to happen. That's not the time you want this thing to go public. All right. That's going to do it this week for the co-main event podcast. Uh, We'd like to thank everybody for listening. Have you thought about joining us over on the Patreon page? You really should. Ben Folks and I are over there all week cranking out additional content. Tomorrow, don't forget this is tomorrow. You know, when we record the proper a day late, sometimes it screws up the whole week. Since this is how we mark our time. Tomorrow, Wednesday, is the live chat over on the Patreon page. You can get in for one dollar. If you want to get into the live chat, then we got Thursday doing the damn thing and Friday's power hour. Hopefully Ben folks continues to recuperate so we can get all those in, but it's a great time. Come join us. Patreon.com slash co main event. We'll get you over there and uh, we have fun. We do have fun. That's going to do it for this show this week. My shoey joke was good. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. was a good joke. A yeah. shoey joke. Do they make you take off their shoes so you can smell them? That's such yeah. a good joke. It's a shoey joke. I get, I get what you're going for there. It's just, I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, we'll come up with a better shoey joke on the fly. I'd like to see you try. What's your, what's your shoey joke? Maybe I mean, maybe nobody needs to
1: make a shoey joke. That's I guess what I'm getting at. Is that it's not a foregone conclusion that we gotta find the shoey joke in here
0: ones a critic and most of us are DJs.